Hey, Dad, can I tell you something? Yep. Did you know that when they first read the Pledge of Allegiance, it was a uh, poem in a children's magazine, and it didn't even used to say United States of America. It used to say, I pledge allegiance to my flag. This is fascinating. It was written by a socialist minister named Francis Bellamy. He had hoped that the pledge would be used by citizens in any country. Well, uh, I think it's I think it's a good, you know, patriotic thing. I don't think much of it. It's, it's just words, you know. If they're not wanting to say the pledge because of their experiences, then do something about it. You're listening to Rome Schooled. I did pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Welcome to Rome Schooled. I was never that excited to say the pledge. Why do we say it? Should we say it? What's it mean to a kid? What's allegiance? One nation under God, invisible and just a frog. That's how you heard it as a kid? That's how I did. <laughs> you did it. And I would say that for years until I finally saw it written down, and I was glad I never raised my hand and said, I don't understand this. I'm just a frog. <laughs> For the first segment in this episode, we're handing the mic over to a junior producer. I'm Theo Schaus, a regional correspondent for Rome Schools. I am a 7th grader in Seattle, Washington, and I interviewed many people, including my friends, teachers, and even my principal. Their opinions were all over the place. Tune to the main office, please. Tune to the main office, please. Theo let us know that in Seattle, the pledge is not typically part of the morning. Just down I-5, though, in Camas, they do say the pledge. Why and why not? Now, there's controversy galore around the question, and the question remains, why? My name is Rachel Schmidt, and I am an eighth grader at Eckstein Middle School being interviewed for Rome Schooled. What was your experience in school and having to say the Pledge of Allegiance? My school was awesome, and we didn't have to say it at all. And I didn't even know what it was until sixth grade. Do you know the Pledge of Allegiance? No, I do not. Nor do I really care to. Did you know it was the state law that all public schools have to say the Pledge of Allegiance every single day? I did not, but I feel like that's stupid. And people shouldn't have to do what they don't want to do. We do say it at assembly sometimes, and I think it's dumb. Do you think there's something else we could use, like as an alternative that brings us together for a certain cause? I think bringing us together, like being nice to each other and not being a turd. Do you have any alternatives, something we say at the beginning of the day, to bring us together, not just being nice? Well, I think some people wouldn't take it seriously. Actually, most people wouldn't take it seriously. So I feel like just not saying anything but practicing small acts of kindness are really important. the last line, one nation under God, that, that part. Well, I don't think it's really fair for people who either don't believe in God or believe in like multiple gods or other religions and stuff because it's kind of pressing monotheistic religions who do only worship one God. Okay, I see what you mean. Let me tell you about when that changed. In the 1950s, they added the under God part. This is because communism was on the rise and communist nations were atheist, but we were fighting against them, so we did not want to be atheist. I think that's fine for then. It was definitely appropriate in that time. I understand that. But not anymore. So we probably should take that out again. Okay. So the Pledge of Allegiance originates around the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago in 1892-1893. The United States was celebrating the 400th anniversary of Columbus coming to the Americas. And so there was a publisher in a magazine called Youth Companion, which was very similar to Highlights for Kids. They published in this poem, and it was called The Pledge of Allegiance, And it was to be set at noon of the very first Columbus Day, which is also a national holiday that was established as part of the World's Columbian Exposition. School kids took this little section of this Pledge of Allegiance celebrating the United States and read it at noon wherever they were. Interesting. So I've heard in the 50s 
it changed. Do you know about that? Uh, yeah, a little bit about the, the change. Uh, part of the anti-communist movement, they started to add some different things. So in the 1950s, Congress added the under God clause to it. That's why there's always kind of this weird pause right there um, with it when it isn't necessarily there because of punctuation or anything. It's just the rhythm of the poem, and they added that part into it. In my experience, it's been more in elementary schools that they've done that, which historically with the Youth Companion, that was tied towards younger school-aged kids because most kids didn't continue their education after eighth grade um, if they even went to school at that time in 1892, 1893. The biggest ceremony in post office history. President Eisenhower and Postmaster Summerfield take part in the introduction of the first stamp with a religious message. As a memento of the occasion, Postmaster Summerfield presents the president with an album containing a block of the new eight-cent stamps destined to become collector's items. The new stamp will carry to the world America's message of liberty and faith. I'm Liam Hutchinson. What I what does the under God even mean? I'm not not too sure. I I am religious, so I don't know how people would feel um, when they say the under God part of the Pledge of Allegiance. But if they do feel like that is not part of their U.S., maybe it could be a choice. But I really don't know how those people would feel because I'm not one of them. When I think of the Pledge of Allegiance, I think of something that's a unifying force, right? That um, we come together and we're proud to be Americans. Um, I think it also represents a lot of different things depending on where your political feelings are at different points. If you're not feeling unified, uh, it can be something that feels divisive. So what do you think about saying it in schools? Um, I could be open to discussing whether it's appropriate to say it in schools or not. In our particular school, we do say the Pledge of Allegiance on different, um, for different events, uh, but it's not typically something that you come into a classroom and say. So I don't really have a strong opinion. In the 1950s, they added in a little bit to the Pledge of Allegiance. They added in the under God part. Right. This was to show that we weren't a communist nation and we were kind of against the ideas of atheism. So what do you think about that part? Um... So I have a personal view about that that I'm not really, um, that I don't necessarily want to share as, as under my title as principal. Okay. Um, and that is a part that I think is hard for a lot of people, right? And there also is the what is God, who is God. Uh, and I do think that that's a piece that's important to some people, and that's the part that becomes divisive. Well, thank you. So... As a principal, do you decide if we say the Pledge of Allegiance at school? It's something that is a community that we decide. It's something that hasn't been said here for a long time. I think it would be something that would be a community decision with staff and with students to decide whether that was appropriate. Um, does it align with what our goals are as a building to uh, represent our diverse population of learners? Is it something that does the job of what it did when I was young, which was to take a school and bring us together and make us feel as one. Does it have that impact? Okay, so speaking about that impact and what it does, do you have any alternatives to something that could bring civil service, citizenship, and like morning thoughtfulness, something that brings us together? Oh, I like your ideas. Um, I think that we have a lot of ideas around that that we discuss, and what you'll find is there's a lot of different ideas on what even that looks like. In one classroom, it might look one way. In another, uh, it looks a different way. So I think the question is, is, is there a standardized thing that we should all do? Um, and my answer to that is we try to bring some of that into assemblies and use those as places for that. But we also recognize that in uh, small homerooms and other things that what looks as a unifying event for one classroom is going to look different in a different classroom. I don't think that they're empty words, and we might get tired of them, but the fact that everybody knows this and everybody is channeling whatever patriotic feelings they have in the same direction, I think is important for a country to stay together. If they're not wanting to say the pledge because of their experiences, then do something about it. Man, I remember having to say the Pledge of Allegiance every day since kindergarten, all the way up through seventh grade. Like, we said it every single day, and it was a part of our morning routine. There was the announcements, and I was a little teeny girl, and we had to stand up, and all of us with our hands on our hearts and say the Pledge of Allegiance. And you say it, and you almost are not even thinking about the words, but then now when I look at it and kids don't know the Pledge of Allegiance, it breaks my heart. 
we are all in this country and it has nothing to do with whether you can find a job today or not or whether you feel like there's equal housing it's not about that it's the earth it's the it's the land that we're living on that we're pledging to and the country all right thank you for sharing your opinions about it theo great job you inspired us to talk to our school too so we asked the teachers and the principal and that led us to superintendent of schools jeff snell can you tell us about the law of saying the pledge? Yeah, I think it's more about um, tradition. It's a practice that's just kind of happened for a long time. When I went to school, I said the pledge and um, probably didn't think a whole lot about it sometimes. And then other times I thought a lot about it. Um, and so it's kind of continued. And so in our schools, we, we um, each school has it makes a little look a little different, but most of our schools do the Pledge of Allegiance or provide an opportunity. What's it look like in your classroom? There's the bell and we stand up and we put our hands on the heart on our heart and we face the flag and then we say it. Mm-hmm. And somebody says before that, ready, begin. You had an interesting story about something that happened just recently in your classroom. Okay, the person who sits in front of me, her name is Avery, she's my best friend. Mm-hmm. And I don't really say the pledge because it's not really something that we believe in. And she looks back at me every day and she sees that I'm not taking pledge and I've been doing it for a while and then she stopped doing it. And you were concerned that she might be stopping just out of peer pressure? Because mm-hmm. she goes to church and I was worried that I was maybe, if she told her parents that she wasn't saying it in the morning, that maybe she might get in trouble for not saying what she believes in. Mm-hmm. You didn't want to influence her either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. These girls for a second are way grade. more thoughtful than I was when I was their age. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. Uh... What did you do when you said the pledge in your school? Um, our French teacher was really particular about how we said things and what they meant, and so he would say to us often, "It is not one nation under God." With that long pause, if you believe that that's what it is, then you should say "one nation under God." Yeah, that's what my teacher told us uh-huh. too. And so that really stood out to me. And even to this day, um, I, um, I think about that when we recite it. Um, we say the Pledge of the Allegiance before our school board meetings, um, uh, as a lot of public meetings sometimes do. Um, and I always think about that. And it's not my place to correct other people. Well, what's the difference? Can you just spell, that, spell out the difference of the pause or no pause again? Well, what he told me is that when you pause, it loses its meaning of, in terms of just being connected as a phrase. You know, so one nation under God was this phrase that when you space it out, it, it kind of doesn't have that same meaning. Mm-hmm. And so his challenge, I think it was pretty, probably from a language standpoint, okay. is that he was trying to help us construct <laughs> words and phrases in French. Mm-hmm. And so I think he wanted us to pay attention to how we said things in English, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a, a lesson that I learned through the pledge, probably not necessarily about the pledge. Mm-hmm. Um, did you want to ask the next one? Okay. What did you think of the pledge before 1954? Give him some context for that. Mm-hmm. Um, what Isn't happened? 1954 the time when they added under God? And, and as, I think it was President Eisenhower or somebody? Yep. Okay. Um, to be honest, Veronica, I haven't thought about it. You know, um, So maybe that's something I should think some more about. But I don't think I could answer something that would be very intelligent for you. Because I haven't given a lot of thought. So why do we say it? Most of the people we found say that it's a way to collect for a moment of thought and to unite us all. But because of the 1954 phrase edition, it seems divisive. Is the idea to unite all of us, or most of us, a majority of us? Now when I think about the pledge, it's a reminder of what I do, right? My job is to serve. You know, sometimes when we have board meetings, we have people that come that don't always agree with what we're doing, and that's great. My job is to listen to those different perspectives and then try to move forward with um, plans that are going to help as many kids as possible. So the pledge is a sort of a recitation about civic duty and public service. For me, I think it, that's that's what it shapes into. I don't give a whole lot of thought maybe to all the words of it as much anymore as I do as that call to yeah. what, what I do and why I do that. 
Why do you think in Seattle they don't say the pledge? That's interesting. I think a lot of times in public schools, then probably there was a, a group of people that felt pretty strongly that they shouldn't say it and had some reasons around that. And that probably resonated with the community that they were serving. I think people were pretty passionate about it for whatever reason. Um, and they raised that concern to a level that made people do something differently about it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. On this particular issue, this just hot couple words stuck in there that end up being a very polarizing thing. So after the, um, the presidential election, mm-hmm. um, we had students and families that were reporting increased um, not nice things being said to them, made to feel um, like they weren't welcome in our district. Um, my job is whatever student comes to our district, I want them to feel welcome. And I want them to feel like they can learn, um, they can ask questions, they can be who they want to be. Um, and so I had a decision to make because um, the election was very political. Lots of strong feelings across strong the Strong feelings, right? And so I decided that we needed to send out a message to our school district, all the people that were involved, to say that however you feel about the election, kids and families are, are suffering some abuse here. Um, and that's not okay. Um, and so your dad kind of supported in a, in a positive way and maybe asked some questions. I had other people that said, how dare you make public schools a political thing? Um, from my point of view, I wasn't trying to be political about it. Um, so and I knew that when you send something like that out that you're going to get some responses one way or the other. kids are being served right now. I'm proud of our district. I'm glad that my kids are in our district, but we could do much better. Um, Today I just interviewed a a young man who's been experiencing homelessness with his family for some time, and, um, you know, he's not always on time to school. You don't know where he's, you know? And so sometimes we get in this habit of, like, you're late. It must be because you're not responsible or you're, you know, and I don't... You may not always have gotten the best night of sleep. No, and I I don't want to blame anybody. Like, our teachers are working really hard and stuff. We just get busy, and sometimes we don't pause and and reflect on, you know, why, Mm -hmm. right? Like, let's just ask why, and let's try to uncover that. So I got to go to an assembly on Flag Day at the girls' school. And it started with the pledge, but then all the second graders were tasked with the job of thanking all the people who had volunteered at the school. As they lined up to go to the assembly, they practiced their poem. All right, you guys, do you remember? Who remembers how it starts? It's not for money, it's not for fame, it's not for any personal I've been wondering about alternatives to the pledge, not because I'm anti-American, but because I like little kids doing cute and thoughtful things. So if you have one, send it in to Rome School. This is what it sounds like in the full assembly with 500 kids sort of reciting the pledge. Okay, so Vern. What? Now that you understand a little bit more about what it is that you're pledging, what the pledge means and what the flag means. I think that you you should be able to see anything you want. And just because your parents believe in God or don't believe in God doesn't mean you can or you can't believe in God. And you don't have to be like your parents. And I think some people just just think, oh, you're my kid. You have to have the same beliefs as I do. Do you get that from me or your mom? No. I hope um, what? Your mom and I, by the way, believe quite different things. But now that you know that, do you have, have you figured out what you're going to do, at least for now, about saying the pledge or where, how you feel about it? I've been standing, I just stand, but I don't say the pledge so at school. Um, yeah, why's that? Because I don't really, well, I 
also believe that kids should not have to be saying a pledge, basically that they don't even understand what the, what the words mean. Okay. Which words do you think the kids least understand about the pledge? Allegiance. Allegiance. What does allegiance mean? I guess you're kind of saying I pledge myself to a piece of fabric. What does it mean to pledge yourself? Uh, pledge can mean kind of a few different ways. It can mean promise. It can mean protect. Yeah. Um, respect, maybe. Respect, sure. I think that people can have different beliefs and still be a part of stuff. I think they should join because it's being respectful. Of what? Or whom? Of the United States or the flag. What is it that you're respecting about it? I love it when my daughters have two conflicting opinions about something. How it's our flag. What if you lived in a country where things were pretty rough and there's a lot of poverty and war and gun violence and sickness, lack of sanitation, lack of education? What if the morning ritual was to say the pledge to the flag of that country? It depends how pledging the flag there was said. I kind of wonder if I'd be more likely to support a Pledge of Allegiance in a country that were trying to build something, a developing country, for example. I, I wonder, because it would be like making a promise to help that country with their goals of building a better infrastructure or a better health care or education for their people, personally. Feel good about a lot of things about the United States, but not the pledging part. Do you think that there are some alternatives that we could do for getting everybody on the same page in the morning and having a moment of thoughtfulness, where maybe it happens on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then on Tuesday and Thursday something else happens? No. No? Why? We always say it in the morning. It's just a logistical thing. Yeah. We also sing the Star Spangled Banner. Do you ever sing This Land Is My Land? No. Or America the Beautiful? No. Why do you sing the Star Spangled Banner? I don't know. Not all the classrooms do it, but in this book, someone was singing the Star Spangled Banner, and someone asked what that was, and Miss Burton sang a little bit of it for us, and then we started singing it in the mornings. Not every day, though. Almost every day with the flag. Oh, I'm just not a fan of that song. <laughs> the words to it are so bloodthirsty. Uh, we only sing the first verse. Even the first verse? Why would we sing a happy song about bombs bursting in the air? Bombs bursting in the air. We live in a strange country. It's beautiful, but I gotta say sometimes it seems really strange to me. Yeah. The part that is like the rockets, the red glare, the bombs bursting in the air is kind of a little bit violent. You think? Like, and then they're all happy about their flag still being there. I'd be terrified. Hey, what about what about their uncle Ted still being there, or <laughs> the donkey that they were friends with as a child still being there? <laughs> it's interesting, right? Yeah. So the flag must mean a lot. I think that when your flag gets shot down in the war, it means that the other side wins. So. Well, we're taking a pretty naive look at all this because there's a lot more to it. But limiting it just to the flag question, I think we've done a good job of turning over some stones and examining some questions. I'm looking for um, crayfish. Crayfish? <laughs> oh, in the river mm -hmm. of the, the American ideal that runs through the middle of the pasture of the American dream. We've done a good job of turning over rocks and looking for crayfish. Yeah. It's a good metaphor. Okay, we're about to take a break, but before we do, you might be thinking, what about the Constitution and the separation of church and state and the Establishment Clause? Wow. What's that? Establishment Clause is, I'll read it to you. A lot of people call it the Anti-Establishment Clause, which means in the Constitution it says that there shall be no law made respecting the establishment of a religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So there's a law that says all kids have to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Does that violate the Establishment Clause? Um, Hard question to answer. Sort of. It sort of does if the pledge is religious which it now is, but it wasn't originally. So it's a very complicated question.
You're listening to Rome School. We've been talking about the pledge and the words under God. Do they unite us or do they divide us just as they divide perfectly poetic sentence parts in the phrase, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all? The pledge was written by a Baptist minister who notably didn't put God into it when he wrote it. Earlier, our young correspondent, Theo, mentioned the Red Scare and Eisenhower. But Eisenhower wasn't a fearmonger or a religious zealot. Compared to the rhetoric of today, he was a downright peaceneck. He was war-weary and global in his views. But the context of his day was basically, fear the Russians because they have no fear of God. And of course, they have some pretty heavy-duty weapons. He's also credited for putting in God we trust on all of our money. Look at any bill before 1957, and it's downright secular. But... Listen to just a minute of Eisenhower's farewell speech, his last address as president. Check this out. We pray that peoples of all faiths, all races, all nations may have their great human needs satisfied, that those now denied opportunity shall come to enjoy it to the full, that all who yearn for freedom may experience its spiritual blessings, that all who are insensitive to the needs of others will learn charity, and that the scourges of poverty, disease, and ignorance will be made disappear from the earth, and that in the goodness of time, all peoples will come to live together in a peace guaranteed by the binding force of mutual respect and love. Now, on Friday noon, I am to become a private citizen. I am proud to do so. I look forward to it. Thank you, and good night. These don't sound like the words of a man who's overcome by religious extremism or fear. He doesn't even say, God bless America, at the end, which is now a necessary sign-off for politicians, who notably catch volumes of crap if they forget to do this. But back to the pledge and the flag to which we patriotically pledge our allegiance. Part 2. We visited with world-renowned vexillologist Ted Kay on Flag Day. Do you know what today is? It's Flag Day. Exactly. And so this is really the flag's birthday. Come on in. I want to go first. Okay, go for it. We read your book about flags. Can you please tell the listeners a bit about it so they understand? Sure. My book's called Good Flag, Bad Flag. And the goal is to explain to people how to design a great flag. I asked about 20 people who had written on the topic of flag design what made a good flag and what made a bad flag. I identified five basic principles. Those are simplicity. A flag should be so simple that a child can draw it from memory. Uh, Meaningful symbolism. A flag should represent what it's trying to show, but the symbolism can be the colors, the way the flag is divided, as well as what objects are put on the flag. The third is there should be just two to three colors. You don't need a lot of colors to make a flag very effective. And of course, if you make more colors on a flag, it gets more expensive to make. The fourth is no lettering or seals. Flags shouldn't have writing on them. If you have to write what your flag symbolizes, then the symbols haven't worked. And the last one is you should have a flag be distinctive from other flags. You shouldn't have a flag that looks just like somebody else's flag, or you might be confused with them. Why did you set out to do this? I was at an International Flag Studies Congress in 1999, and I listened to a panel of... Wait, let me go back further than that. Why would you go to a Flag Studies Congress? (laughs) Well, I'm interested in flags, and the study of flags is vexillology. It comes from the Latin word vexillum for flag. So we actually have the North American Vexillological Association, and we have the International Federation of Vexillological Associations, and we have International Congresses of Vexillology, where all the people who are interested in flags from all over the world come together to talk about flags. But you went to that and not the International Conference on Pants. Right. Why flags and not pants? When you study flags... You're actually learning about geography. You're learning about politics, governments, and structures of how people govern themselves, design, art, and you're learning about history. These are all disciplines that we enjoy. But then there's trivia, which we also really love. Our Rome Schooled research revealed this little tidbit. 
Trivia question. Which flag is the only national or state flag that has something different on the back from what's on the front? The answer, it's our Rome-schooled home state of Oregon. The state of Oregon violates all of the rules. It's not distinctive in that it's a blue field with a shield on it, like nearly 30 other state flags. It has words on it, Oregon, and it uniquely bucks the norm with its weird two-sided scheme. But the thing that almost redeems it is that on the back of the flag is nothing but a really cool beaver. Nothing else. But as a flag, it requires three layers of fabric where one could suffice. The flag's got a front, it's got a middle to keep light from shining through, and the back. It makes the flag harder to make because you've got to put one thing on one side and one on the other, and it makes it a thick flag. What's a flag supposed to do? Wave! Yeah, and what do you th- how do you think a thick flag waves? Not as well. Waving is one of the flag's pragmatic little daily jobs, but another is to show who owns something from far away or whose army is coming over the hill. But the main job of a flag is in its meaning, and the true challenge in design is not to be pretty or pragmatic, but to be meaningful. And if you ask a designer... Many people who are in the design community who read my book say, you've just given us the basic principles of design. Simplicity, distinctiveness, good use of color. Well, that's what it does. Its job is to symbolize something meaningful. That's the essence. Would, like, you know those junior ranger badges that you sometimes get when you're a kid from Mm -hmm. national parks? Would you call the symbols on there, like the buffalo for wildlife and pine trees, is that kind of like a type of flag? I think you could call those icons, meaning an item that represents a larger group. So a bison or uh, an arrowhead representing the National Park Service. We know the National Park Service is more than just arrows and one kind of animal, but that symbol represents the entire group. Are you familiar with the flag of Canada? Canada is one of the more recent national flags and a vexillologist's dream design. It's, as you probably know, a red maple leaf on a white background with red on both sides of the rectangle. That doesn't mean that Canada only has maple leaves. It means let's take one thing and have it represent the whole of us. And so those badges that you were describing are very good examples of that. But Canada hated its flag when it first came to be in 1964, not that long ago. In a nutshell, the French Canadians didn't like the old flag because there was nothing French about it. There was the Union Jack on the left, a red background, and a shield. So after a contest for submissions, several committees, and a virtual government shutdown, the maple leaf was awkwardly and reluctantly installed. And only 50 years later is loved by Canadians. In addition to the content, we thought it was interesting that a lot of the design elements of flags were based on the idea of scale. So one vexillologistic faux pas is the use of the seal, like a state seal or a family seal on a flag. A seal is meant to be viewed at a close distance, call it 16 inches from your eye, on a piece of paper, on just one side of the paper, and not moving. A flag needs to be seen, say, 50 feet away on a piece of fabric. Okay, I admit it. We've been dancing around the real debate that we started with by talking about the fabric of the flag itself. There's been a lot of disagreements about the Pledge of Allegiance since the the 1950s. How do you feel about the changes that were made? The basic change was putting uh, under God in the Pledge of Allegiance. And when the Pledge of Allegiance was developed, this is the 1890s, the Association of Civil War Veterans called the Grand Army of the Republic, adopted as its cause having these immigrants from other countries become true Americans. And so the GAR was behind the effort to put the flags in schools and in schoolrooms. And they used to do it like this. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. You're holding your hand out. Uh, right. gesturing toward to it. To the flag. That makes sense. I've seen pictures, old black and white pictures of right. kids holding kids. their hands My out. My mother yeah. learned to do this in the 1930s. Now, that gesture changed in the 1940s because in Germany, 
people gestured like this. The slight difference is that the palm is up, palm is when, up. It, when referring to the flag, the palm is down when you're saying Heil Hitler. Right. All right. So it changed to just keeping your hand on your heart. <laughs> so I pledge allegiance to the flag. Yeah, I think it was during okay. the war. I think it looks very much like that. Well, it's similar enough when you see a large group of people right. doing it. <laughs> it's That's right. scary to you know, modern eyes looking at large groups of people holding their hands up. Even if they're saying a pledge for a presidential candidate, it has an eerie reminiscence of a very frightening time in history. Everybody here, who likes me in this room? Okay. Can I have a pledge, a swearing Raise your right hand. I do solemnly swear that I, no matter how I feel, no matter what the conditions, if there's hurricanes or whatever, that's good enough, will vote for Donald J. Trump for president. Thank you. Okay, I put that quote in there somewhat just for fun, but also to make a point that I feel weird about the whole pledge thing. It's saying words, and words are little bunches of letters that sound a certain way, and they are clear conveyances of meaning. They're like little station wagons carrying a whole lot of meaning. Words are different than symbols and symbolic acts, like raising your hand. Symbols are more like muscle cars with tinted windows. You can't see who's driving. Kind of mysterious and something that actually stands for and means something else. And so the pledge and the flag to which people are pledging, as far as meaning goes, is where the station wagon words and the muscle car symbols collide. I was watching the debate in the state of Georgia in 2001 when they took an offensive symbol off of their flag, the Confederate battle flag. The Senate committee started working on a new flag. Somebody came in with a design of a flag that was based on the first national flag of the Confederacy, the so-called Stars and Bars. Not the battle flag, but the national flag that had a red stripe, a white stripe, and a red stripe. But in the middle of the middle stripe, it wrote in big block letters, in God we trust, great big letters. The guy who was staffing that committee would call me every night and tell me what was going on in the committee and, and I would give him advice. And he said, you can't believe what they brought in. They brought in this flag and they liked this idea with in God we trust on it. And I said, well, you might tell the committee that the only flags I know of that have God on them are Iran, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia. How about that? You know, once people have gotten the idea of putting God on the flag, it's going to be really hard to take it off because people will say, well, you're a communist because you don't want to have God on the flag. So this was a lifeline call from Georgia. Their flag was in some kind of crisis. On that flag, you've got the seal of Georgia, and on the seal it says, wisdom, moderation, justice. So there's going to be words on it anyway. Why don't you get them to put in God we trust right under the, under the seal there. Just put it in little letters up, up in the, the corner. A little bit of a cop-out. It worked. <laughs> so what did they end up doing? That's what they did. Okay, so there's still a seal on the there's, Georgia flag. There's a seal on the Georgia flag. It's a big blotch on the flag. <laughs> but what you see on the flag is a square with something on it in the upper left-hand corner and three big stripes. Red, white, red. Huh. So you mentioned that... It's really hard to remove God from something without creating quite a stir. Yes. And those words under God have created quite a stir from the moment they were inserted by Eisenhower and the administration. But is there any middle ground on the Pledge of Allegiance that might make everybody happy since it has been made um, to have these words in it? Sure. Just don't say those words. And while other people do say them. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Wait a second. Can it really be that simple? I mean, who would notice if some kids just aren't saying the under God part? But it's not just a matter of noticing. It's also a matter of the culture 
or maybe it's a matter of classroom management. It actually is a different matter for different people. Here is the most amazing thing about all of this. Courts have let religious words like under God and in God we trust stay on our money and in our schools despite the Establishment Clause because, I'm quoting here, they've lost their meaning through rote repetition. The words have lost their meaning. The words in God we trust don't mean anything having to do with God because we repeat them so often. That's how the Supreme Court has looked at it since 1984. And the thing is, both conservative and liberal justices say this. They call it ceremonial deism. Words that are just ceremony and don't actually contain the meaning they're intended to carry. So this is the ultimate irony to me because we've fought so much about these words. So let's pause and consider a lighter question. What happens if the United States decides to have a new state, say Puerto Rico, and we have 51 stars? This totally messes up the flag, right? There have already been 27 or so different designs of the flag since the Betsy Ross, including some weird flags that have 15 stripes instead of 13 stripes. There was the classic 48-star flag, uh, and for exactly one year, there was even a flag with 49 stars on it. Without getting too much into the weeds here, we had to ask the question about that awkward number, 51. It's time to go back to 13 big stars. Why? Because design-wise, you can't see those stars very well. No, they look They're like getting dots. too small. Uh, some people can get really upset about this, but if you take away the nationalistic view that my flag is great and say, how could we improve the American flag? The way you would improve it is you would reduce the number of stars. There are also 13 stripes. Why would we need 13 stripes and 13 stars? Double 13, that seems unlucky. <laughs> Maybe that takes no, the unluckiness is, out of the 13. That's lucky. <laughs> yeah. Well, but what about just one big star to unite them? You could. Uh, that then would look a whole lot like Liberia. Okay, so it's enough to say that we are going to leave the vexillology to the vexillologists. And let's go back to Georgia for a minute, the state that was changing their flag. And let's relive a moment in which we found ourselves in a gas station slash bakery slash pie shop in rural Idaho just a few weeks ago. This may seem like a weird question. Okay. The last time I came in, you had rebel flag earrings in. Like, yeah. What does that mean to you? I'm... Um, rebel meaning like country. I don't know. It's, I don't think of it being like as offensive or whatever. I think it's just more like you're just a free-spirited country person. Since nobody else was here, I thought I'd ask you oh. what it meant to you. Um, just crazy country girl. Crazy country girl. No <laughs> rules. Nope. Do what I want to do. Have fun. And these are? These are shotgun shells. Ah, you made them yourself? Yeah. Did you do the rebel flag earrings too? No. I bought those ones. Anybody ever take offense to them? Um, I have a sweatshirt um, with the rebel flag on it. When I first got the sweatshirt and some guy just cornered me and was just like chewing me like one side and down the other about it. And he was just really offended by it. And I was like, well... You know, I'm sorry you feel that way. I was like, to me, that's not what I represent to me. I'm not a racist. I am a total backwoods country girl. I like to party. But you will never see me being aggressive or rude or disrespectful to anybody, no matter what, who they what are. their color, race, creed. Did he accept that? No. No. He was really, really mad. Well, when I had my kids with me and he was just letting her loose and cussing and mad as can be. And I was just like, you know what? I finally was just like... I've got my children in my house. Like, you need to be respectful of that. I was like, I'm sorry that something offends you. I was like, something offends somebody every day. But you don't see all of us out here whining and griping and throwing a fit. I said, so you need to pull yourself together. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. national flag of the Confederacy looked too much like the Union flag, the, the American flag. So two sides on the battlefield were flying flags that were very similar and you couldn't tell whose side people were on. And so the Army of Northern Virginia, part of the Confederate armies, adopted a new flag that was very different from the United States flag. And that's the Confederate battle flag, big X on a red background. That flag became 
so popular that the national flag of the Confederacy changed to add that flag to it. So at the beginning, the Confederate battle flag represented the armies of Northern Virginia, and then by extension, all of the armies of the Confederacy. Some groups in the South started using that Confederate flag to represent their philosophy, which was based on slavery and white supremacy and hatred. Some people used the Confederate battle flag to represent ancestors who fought in the Civil War, their heritage. All of us have grandparents and great-grandparents, and there are people in the South who revere their great-great-grandparents who fought in the Civil War, and the flag is a symbol of their connection to their, to their ancestors. So how do we rescue the flag away from those who use it for a more narrow purpose, uh, or, or can it be rescued? Is it worth rescuing? The, the answer is you cannot. There are really four meanings that the Confederate battle flag represents these days. The first is the heritage of the South, of the Confederacy. The second is it's a generic symbol for the American South. Think uh, the Dukes of Hazard and their, their car. The third is it's a generic symbol for rebellion. We even see it being used in Europe, in Eastern Ukraine. Wow. To say we're rebelling. Because people in eastern Ukraine are familiar with the United States history enough to know that that's the that's, rebel flag. That's rebels. Yes, that's a rebel flag. That's a flag of rebellion, period. That's fascinating. Okay. And then, fourth, it's a symbol of hate. It's a symbol of white supremacy. And the problem is that when I see someone flying that flag, I don't know which meaning they are trying to impart. On their ship 50 feet from me. <laughs> on their pickup <laughs> truck. On their T-shirt. Okay, yeah. I don't know if they try, they're trying to say heritage or hate, and therefore the symbol has been tainted. And it needs to be, what, discarded? Or? You put it in a museum, make it a topic of study, but not a symbol to fly on a pole somewhere, unless it's specifically related to Confederate heritage. As, as my son, who's also interested in flags, said... What other country loses a war and still gets to keep its flag? They lost. Wow. Get over it. <laughs> and speaking of defeated groups, we did some more research, and it turns out that in Germany, it's illegal to fly the Nazi flag. So what flag do you think Nazis fly? Yep. Think the Dukes of Hamburg. It's an image that seems a little too familiar, but it's also a little confusing. Is there something about flags, because they represent things with borders that keeps putting them into this danger territory philosophically where we see them as uh, elements of controversy or symbols of division? That's what they're for. Flags are meant to say, we are us and we're not them. Or they're meant to say, we are all together. We're a community. They distinguish us from others. They also say, this is ours and not yours. I planted my flag on this. That's the point. But we also put flags on our athletic uniforms. What country am I representing? You know, think of the Olympics. Is the Olympics good or bad? Well, it's not as simple of a question as good or bad. It's, I'm, I'm just thinking about, I guess, mega-tribalism. Wondering if there is ever going to be a time or place where we don't have borders or needs to say this is us and that is them, or this is ours and this is theirs. Does Star Trek have flags? Are there but, flags in the, oh, yes. in the future, in outer space? Yes. There's a, uh, <laughs> I listened to a great paper delivered in 1987 at the International Flag Congress in San Francisco on exovexillology. <laughs> exovexillology. Okay. The question you're asking doesn't have to do with flags. Flags is just the tail on the dog that you're asking about. Do we go beyond borders? Do we become one big planet? Are we, flags right. are simply the name tags on those things. You're not going to change what those things are by, by taking the name tags off. But if aliens invade Earth and we decide that we need to all unite and eradicate our borders to defend the planet, is there a possibility of a planetary flag or...? Lots of people have proposed flags for planet Earth. And interestingly, that's the standard argument for when we would need a planet Earth flag. <laughs> it's, it's... Oh, I wish I had something better than standard. <laughs> we followed Ted and we went to see him speak at a gathering of business people and philanthropists at a Rotary Club meeting at a ballroom in a downtown hotel. 
and his speech went over really well. There was a stage and a leadership panel of people on that stage representing the Rotary. And behind them, prominently, the U.S. flag, the state flag, the city flag, and something like a flag, more of a banner for the Rotarians. They get together every Tuesday, and they think of ways to actually help people. But ironically, the guy who introduced Ted this day did not do something that they normally do at the beginning of their meetings. He didn't lead them in the Pledge of Allegiance. I asked him why. It is so political to me. I do not want to even touch it. Where so, are you from originally? I'm from Jordan. I was Jordan. born in Lebanon, went to Jordan, Israel, the whole Middle East area. Uh -huh. And to me, a flag is a symbol of war. And all the, those people are raising their flags and saying, look who I am, we are the... So my reason for asking is because my daughters say the Pledge of Allegiance in their schools, mm -hmm. but in most of Washington state schools, back in Seattle, they don't say the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. And I'm just, just sort of curious about that. It's a discussion area, and to me, how the way I see a flag is somebody at one point say to tell who we are from the enemy, where is the flag? That's to me, this, it's a symbol of war. Coming from a country that has always suffered from war, I don't want to see anything with war. It's hard to hear because they were cleaning up and putting all the dishes away. But what he said, in case you couldn't hear it, is that flags to him are symbols of war, and he just doesn't want to see any more war or anything that reminds him of war. On a more cheerful note, and to wrap things up, we invited our friends Luke and Andrew over at TBTL, Too Beautiful to Live, one of our favorite podcasts, to weigh in and to give us a little commentary about the flag and the pledge on our way out. When I was in second grade in Mrs. Vandenberg's class, first thing was she would play a, a record, like a vinyl record of This Land is Your Land every single morning. Really? Like as, as we got ready, you know, as we sort of got settled in the class, the record with This Land is Your Land would come out. And then we would say the Pledge of Allegiance. And we would go through the whole thing, and then there was this gal. I forget her name. Can you call somebody in second grade a gal? I don't What's call the anybody cut a gal. Off? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Do you think anybody likes being called a gal? I think gal is just the – it's just like guy, but for females, right? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I don't know well, what they cut off. There was, there was a child. There was a woman in the class. That would also be weird. There was just like a 25-year-old woman in second grade at Daniel Baggy Elementary. She wasn't, anyway, she wasn't getting the curriculum, but they were really sticking with her, and that's a credit to yeah, them, the educators. I appreciate that. They've ended social promotion a long time ago yeah. in the Seattle Public School District. <laughs> yeah. Leads to some sticky situations. Mm -hmm. But anyway, at, at the end of the pledge, she would quietly mutter, born and unborn. What? What was that gal thinking? <laughs> well... I didn't get it at the time, but this was something that I believe the Catholic Church was encouraging people to do as a way of, of – of, it was essentially it was a pro-life statement. Oh, of course. So it was saying, you know, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Born, born and, and unborn. unborn. It was a way of bringing un, – you know, it was a way of bringing unborn people into the conversation about having rights and liberty. And I, I – it was like years later. I, the brain is such a weird thing, especially my brain. I was just like sitting somewhere, probably eating a Ritz cracker, and that came into my head, and I was like, oh, of course. That was, that was a pro-life statement. Yeah. You know, it's funny. The first thing I think of when I think of the Pledge of Allegiance is also a kid who I went to grade school with and, and what he did during the Pledge of Allegiance, which was – not say the Pledge of Allegiance. And what? his name is uh, Thad, and he was a Jehovah's Witness. And I had no idea what a Jehovah's Witness was. Honestly, for the majority of my life, I just thought a Jehovah's Witness was a person who didn't say the Pledge of Allegiance. I knew it had something to do with religion. Mm -hmm. It was never explained to me. I went to a school that was in a very rural, pretty poor um, you know, part of Ohio, and like me, he was a he was a big nerd and a, a bit of an outcast, I would say, during these early like grade school years. Looking back, I just feel a lot of empathy for Thad Craig. Like I got my ass kicked a lot 
in uh, in grade school. So I'm not trying to make it sound like I was somebody who was bullying him. But I think that he was maybe a little bit nerdy like me anyway. But because of his family's you know decisions and the religion he was brought up with, there was an extra layer of quote-unquote different laid on top of him. Yeah. And every day we would say the Pledge of Allegiance. And I believe he was forced to stand out of respect. But he did not say the Pledge of Allegiance. And looking back and as an adult now – Knowing that you know some of us kids had a hard time kind of making friends and dealing with the whole social thing, that must have been really hard for him. Every time he was in a new class, you know, or maybe oh my moved God. schools or something, it's just like way. I would have just said the dang pledge, just right. because unless your parents are there, right? Like they don't actually know, and I would have just been like, I would have wanted to fit in like more than anything. So it's funny that both you and I, our initial just kind of knee-jerk reactions when you think of the Pledge of Allegiance, what do you think of? And you think of another Conscientious objectors, basically. Yeah, yeah, and these individuals in our past, how the Pledge of Allegiance was kind of affected by their personal religion. Aside from that, I don't have a huge connection to it. I think I'm happy that I said it every day. I don't think it did me any harm. I would take – I mean as an atheist, I'd prefer not to have the under God thing in there, but whatever. Like what, you know, I'm not going to die on that hill. I was thinking about the pledge today a little bit, and I, I have to say I decided I think it's actually really weird just as a thing. Mm-hmm. I mean I kind of understand why it started because there was a – got to remember and, – and by the way, I don't actually know the history on the Pledge of Allegiance. I'm sure if you're listening to Rome Schooled right now, you've already been hipped to it, uh, but I haven't, OK? So everyone just get off my back. But I mean there was a period of time we were very afraid of spies and and so this notion that we're going to teach kids and everybody else that we need to pledge our loyalty to this Mm -hmm. nation. I think there was maybe some practical reason behind it. But I got to be honest with you. Any sort of solemn pledging to anything makes me just feel innately uncomfortable at this point in my life. I guess you're right. Like the uh, the, just the – nationalism that goes along with that. It can be a very scary thing, as we've seen in history uh, many times. So yeah, kind of pledging your allegiance to a flag. However, I picture myself and (laughs) I almost said my colleagues. I picture myself and my little peers uh, as, you know, second year, uh, as uh, second graders, you know, standing to start our school day by saying the Pledge of Allegiance in Valley City, Ohio, and trying to picture that from an outsider doesn't seem concerning to me. Yet you know that I'm the type of guy who's so worried about kind of nationalism or have weird reactions to it that one time I walked into a bar and people were chanting and shouting USA, USA during the World Cup. And I was like, Ugh, I got to get out of here before something bad happens. So I think intellectually I'm on your side with that. It was written by a socialist minister named Francis Bellamy. He had hoped that the pledge would be used by citizens in any country. Huh. This was like a this was like a general thing that he created. It's true. It was for everybody. It didn't originally say United States of America. It used to say I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands. They even added the word to in there to be grammatically correct in the 1920s um, before adding the United States in much later. So with all of this, as Andrew said, is this the hill that any of us want to die on? Well, not me and the girls, at least not while they're still in school. But if it's now a passion of yours, hopefully we've been able to look at both sides of it and to see some of the middle ground in between those sides. Just today, the Supreme Court handed down a ruling that makes it easier for the government to fund church projects. And there are daily debates about the separation of church and state. As far as the pledge goes, you can look at it as something that is said to get everybody on the same page in the morning, cute little kids reciting something, or you can look at it as a reprehensible, unconstitutional, fear-based violation of the Establishment Clause. Which way are you going to go on that? By the way, did you notice that in the beginning of this episode, when Porky Pig is saying the pledge, it is the old version of the pledge, not the Cold War and after era version? If you didn't notice when Porky Pig read the Pledge of Allegiance that it wasn't under God, then this just might not be the issue for which you shed blood on the battlefield. Having said that, we don't want you to shed any blood or for there to be any battlefields. We just want to figure each other out here on Rome Schooled. And with that, we bid you a fond farewell. Thanks for listening. We have brand new Rome Schooled badges. They're like junior park ranger badges, only they're for people of all ages. You, in fact, would look really good in one. Those will be available on our website, romeschooled.com, where you can see a beautiful slideshow that goes along with every episode of Romeschooled. 
Thanks for listening. Our show comes together on an extremely erratic schedule of travel and inspiration by me and the girls. There is an incredible amount of creative capital and support given by our producer, Lydia Ritchie, from Philadelphia, from Ben Landsberg, who also, along with myself, makes up the band Wonderly. We make the music on the show. And for this special episode, we want to thank Theo Schaus, our new junior producer up in Seattle, and Alexis Kenyon in Portland, Oregon. Visit our website, send us questions, drop us a line. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening.